Uh, so several years ago, I moderated a debate down in Green Valley. And if I remember correctly, uh, it was uh, McSilent and someone else and someone else and Frank Riggs for Congress. And I don't, I don't give compliments unless I talk about myself a lot. But I was extremely impressed with Frank Riggs. And I think I said on the air, too, that it was obvious that he was by far the best choice uh, for Congress. By far the best choice. Uh, and Or maybe it was, I, it was a governor, it was Congress, I can't remember. But he'll let me know. But I was very impressed by him. And he's got a great background. He's been a congressman. Uh, he has uh, been in charge of uh, overseeing uh, charter schools for the state of Arizona. Police officer, you name it. Now he's running for uh, Arizona Superintendent of Education. And I thought it'd be great to have him on to talk about this, since this is what everybody's talking about. And Frank joins us now. Frank, how you doing, man? Doing fine, Garrett. Good to be with you. Same here. I'm trying to remember. This is, you know, I'm 41 <laughs> and I'm going through. Was it for Congress or what was the debate that you were running for several so years ago? That was the uh, that was that would be the 2014 Republican yes. gubernatorial. Primary. That's what it was. And you, by far, yeah. the the best choice for governor out of all. And Ducey didn't show up because that's just the kind of guy he is. Um, but you're too kind, I guess. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Uh huh. But, I mean, I swear, you are by far the best candidate. I, even, I mean, for me to go up to my wife and go, man, there was a guy that was really impressive, very smart. I'm just telling you, it was you. So, And I don't say that about anybody but myself. So, that, that's a, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> so, all right, you're running for a state superintendent of schools. Um, Diane Douglas is the current one, so you're going to primary her. And uh, she really hasn't done much. Uh, she was all gung-ho during the election, anti-Common Core is what she ran on. And then she got in there and seems to be a bit over... Uh, a bit over her head right now. Um, but first off, before we get into all that stuff, what's your take on this this walkout? Do you think it should happen? Um, uh, what's your overall impression of it? No, I, I think it's it, I think it's bad faith, Garrett. I mean, honestly, it, you know, for for them to take a strike vote after the governor made what I believe to be a you know sincere proposal, but before the legislature could act, before the legislative process, which as you very well know entails debate. Amendments, consultations between the House and the Senate, consultations between the legislature and the governor. Before that process could take place, and yes, I'll admit that Will Rogers was probably right when he said, you know, making making legislation is like making sausage. But for them to to take a strike vote and now to walk out before the legislative process could run its course, before the duly elected representatives of the people could act, I think is the height of bad faith. Do you think that, uh, I mean, do you think this is just all about money or is it about more? Because I've talked about there's a story at Breitbart and, and I've talked about there's a story in the Washington Free Beacon about the guy that's leading the red thread, this Noah Carvelis. He is yeah. a he is out there. He is exactly what we don't want teaching our children. Yeah. An- another uh, community organizer, I guess, yeah. you know, to, to put it politely. But, uh, yeah, it's obviously now ab- about, you know, partisan politics and pursuing a political agenda. I mean, I empathize with our teachers and our education support professionals because compensation has been largely stagnant for the last 10 years while student enrollment has grown by, I think conservatively, about you know, 67,000 students in our K-12 schools. And, and that number, uh, I think, is probably outdated. So I, I empathize with that movement. And I've proposed that going forward, we try to index per pupil funding the student enrollment growth and inflation but make no doubt about it that the leaders, if you can call them that, and, and their organizations behind the whole Red for Ed movement are, are partisan activists. And they're, you know, frankly, 
they, they've got an agenda to elect Democrats across the board. Yeah, I mean, it's just obvious. By the way, Frank Riggs is who you're listening to uh, on KNST AM 790. His website is Riggs, R-I-G-G-S, Riggs4AZ.com. You need to check it out. He's running for state superintendent of schools. So uh, if teachers need to be paid more, and hey, listen, everybody needs to be paid more, um, where do we get the money? What do we do? Because well, that's a great yeah. question, and, and and I think there's no question that we can achieve some efficiency and cost savings. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate in that I have a business background as well as my extensive public service, and like to bring that perspective to bear. I think we ought to cap administrative cost at five percent. Uh, we we need to stop all of the unfunded mandates at the federal and state level that run up admin and compliance costs with school districts and. And that's, that's pretty simple to do. I mean, we did it back in the day when I served in Congress. We passed something called the Unfunded Mandates Reform Act. And we simply said, look, you can't pass a law or a new regulation, no matter how well-intentioned, without a corresponding appropriation. So there are steps that we can take to achieve these efficiencies. I mean, for Pete's sakes, we have 65 school districts, 65 single school school districts in the state. So there's a lot that we have to do. And, and I think if you're ever going to ask voters and taxpayers to do more, you got to be really sincere about much greater transparency and accountability. Yeah, because there's one lawmaker that is floating the idea of a sales tax increase. And it, that. <laughs> what's that? I do not support that because we all know that sales taxes are inherently regressive. Yes. They disproportionately impact fixed and low-income individuals. Many of them are retirees. And, and quite honestly, Garrett, I mean, individuals are bearing the lion's share of the taxation burden in our mm-hmm. state today, over two-thirds of all taxes are paid by individuals through sales, property, and income taxes. Well, if if you uh, if somehow they find money, like you know, if they go through the budget, they find stuff like everything that you're talking about. They somehow find money, and they're able to to give an increase and maybe restore some funding. There, there's an argument. Do you give the money directly to the teachers? Does the state do that? They get it right in their paycheck, can't do anything about it, or do you give it to the the school districts themselves and the administration to divvy it out, and then teachers complain. They never see any of it. What what would you like to see happen? That's a great point because you know because we get into kind of I think in a dicey area if we're talking about the legislature that's trying to directly earmark, uh, you know, state taxpayer funding for an increase in, in teacher compensation, and and we are overriding the fundamental responsibility and the concept of local control, whereby the, the governing boards of school districts and charter schools actually decide, you know, make make decisions with respect to the compensation and, and, and personnel of the employees of that district or charter school. Again, I, I think what we ought to do, I think we have to acknowledge that that our you know funding for our K-12 schools has not kept pace with student enrollment growth. I mean, for Pete's sakes, you know, we tout the fact that, you know, Maricopa County, with all due respect to our listeners in, in your radio audience, but Maricopa County, fastest growing county in the country. But again, we are not providing sufficient funding to keep pace with student enrollment growth. So that really ought to be our target going forward: index student, you know, per pupil funding, student enrollment growth, and then and then respect and abide by the concept of local control. And like, let's again, governing boards of school districts and charter schools make those decisions. You know, and and Frank Riggs is who you're listening to on KNST AM seven ninety. Riggs for AZ.com is his website. He's running for state superintendent of education. 
here in Arizona. Uh, you were the CEO of the nonprofit Charter Schools Development Corporation. Uh, you're obviously you seem to be a free market guy. Tell me if I'm wrong. So you believe in competition because it brings out the best in people. Um, Absolutely. You know, if you're the superintendent of schools, I mean, the public education people aren't fans of charter schools. They view them as competition. The unions don't like them because it takes dollars away and stuff like that. Um, what are the benefits of the charter schools, and how would you see that impact uh, just traditional public schools? Well, for the reason that you just said, I mean, charter schools, I mean, the reason that, that I got so excited about charter schools many, many years ago, and just to back up for a moment, when, when I served in Congress, I chaired the House Education Subcommittee and authored the Charter School Expansion Act of 1998. It created a competitive grants program at the state and local level to help charter schools with their startup and expansion costs. Got that, by the way, through the House of Representatives with 367 votes and through the U.S. Senate unanimously uh, before it was signed in law in October of 1998 by then-President Bill Clinton. But the, the idea behind charter schools is, is to infuse competition and choice in, in what has been a monopolistic system, uh, you know, by, by any uh, you know, definition. And I personally believe it's not possible to achieve excellence in any pursuit, you know, in any sector in American society without competition and choice. It certainly works well in the private sector, and it works great in higher ed. Uh, we, you know, with our with our colleges and, and universities. So, uh, you know, the superintendent of public instruction, the position I'm running for because of my deep background in educational leadership at the local, state, and federal level, that, that individual sits on both the State Board of Education as well as the State Board for Charter Schools. And charter schools are here to stay in Arizona, and, and they're doing a lot of great things across the state. And, uh, you know, I think it's entirely possible, Garrett, to be a, you know, an advocate for parents and students and educators in all public schools, and maybe I should say taxpayers too, but to be an advocate for all of the above and also be a proponent and champion of both public district schools as well as public charter schools. Okay. Frank, can you hang on for me? I have more questions for you about raises. You know, how do we measure teachers? What about bad teachers? How do we get parents more involved? Uh, There's a lot that I want to ask you. And especially there's there's a big problem, I think, when it comes to uh, discipline. Uh, in schools, and and teachers are left, you know, to fend for themselves, and it's just not fair. We'll get to all this. Uh, Frank, hang on for me if you don't mind. Uh, It's uh, Frank Riggs. He is running for, as you just heard, State uh, Superintendent of Education here in Arizona. And we'll continue. Stay with me in 5, KNST AM 790, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Don't forget about my iHeart channel, iHeartRadio.com. Just search Garrett Lewis. You have the iHeartRadio app. Search Garrett Lewis. Ryan puts the podcast up every day, the entire show. He puts uh, segments up, interviews. So this interview that we're doing with Frank Riggs will be up there as well. Now, Frank uh, rejoins us. Frank Riggs, Riggs4AZ.com. It's F-O-R, Riggs4AZ.com, running for State Superintendent of Schools. Thanks for hanging with me, Frank. I appreciate it. It's it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Dear. You got it. So um, here's the thing. This is where I, you know, I hear teachers say, you know, one thing, we're not paid enough, and I totally understand that. Then they say, we need funding back. We need more money for the classroom. And, you know, you are obviously more of an expert in education than I am, but I just sit back and say, throwing money at a problem doesn't solve it. Um, You know, you can say you want new books, that's great, but if parents don't make kids do work, you could have the fanciest classroom and the most up-to-date stuff, and it's not going to make a difference. So how do you hold teachers accountable for a raise? Is it fair to do that? And, you know, when they say they want more funding for this, that, and everything, will it make that much more of a difference in, in terms of success? Well, that's a great question. I mean, what, what it will do is hopefully uh, enable us to recruit and especially to retain the, the best teachers 
for our, for our kids. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any question that we have an acute teacher shortage bordering on a, on a crisis. But the other side of that coin, like you say, is, is greater accountability. And, and, you know, I was talking with Tom Horn the other day, former attorney general and superintendent of public instruction, and he said, you know, Frank, back, back in, in my tenure as superintendent of public instruction, we actually required a high school graduation test. It was called the Ames test, the forerunner to today's state standardized test called AZ Merit, which is aligned to the common core standards, which are deeply embedded in our schools, despite what Mrs. Douglas might claim. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe we need to go back to that. Maybe we need to have a high school graduation test to hold both teachers and students accountable. That would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, would, would you be able to do something like that? To, would it, would but, it pass the union, you know, litmus test if you actually hold uh, teachers accountable well, like that's, that? That's going to be a big challenge, Garrett. You know, I, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people as I campaign around the state, and they insist that the statewide constitutional office, the superintendent of public instruction, overseeing the or leading the Arizona Department of Education, overseeing all of the programs and policies at both the federal and state level for K twelve education, and the ten billion in local, state, and federal funding we give to our K-12 schools. They insist that that role is largely administrative. It's, you know, it's leading that particular, you know, leading the Department of Education. And I always say, yes, it is part high-level executive leadership, and I think I've got a great background that prepares me for that responsibility. But the flip side of that is that the office is also bully pulpit. You know, it's the soft power, the power of persuasion, I call it. Uh, where you should be an advocate. You should be trying to promote and influence policy as it impacts our K-12 education system. And, again, I think I have an ideal background for that, having served in high elective office and having deep experience in the legislative and political arena. That, that's just a long-winded way of saying, though, that the, the fact of the matter is I understand going in that I've got to build relationships. I've got to be able to lead by example. I've got to be a credible and articulate advocate where it counts. And that's with the, you know, with the person in the governor's office, with the, in the legislature, with the State Board of Education, with the State Board for Charter Schools. All of those folks are effectively the colleagues of the superintendent of public instruction. And that also means working with all the stakeholder groups. Uh, and it includes the Arizona PTA. It includes the uh, Arizona Educators Association. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I think I can I think we've got a proven record, actually, in, you know, kind of forging a consensus, bringing people uh, to, the, to the table, getting things done in a, in a very basic sense. So, yes, I do think that, that I can, you know, influence policy and that I can hopefully change hearts and minds as the saying goes. So you'll be able to have an impact. I mean, there are some really weird things taught in the TUSD schools. Yeah. Really weird things taught. You, you can come down and talk to the superintendent or anybody and say you guys should change your curriculum. We had the Mexican-American Studies nightmare. They're trying to bring it back. Right. I mean, it, it's a mess. It doesn't help the kids. It doesn't make them prepared for the real world. That is so true. And by the way, I, you know, you're speaking to the person that well, when I served in Congress introduced a bill trying to add a, end affirmative action in higher ed admissions. I mean, I, I, you know, I you know, go back to Martin Luther King. You know, we should judge a person on the content of their character not the color of their skin, and I am opposed to anything, especially in our K-12 schools, that promotes separatism mm. or, you know, racial identity politics, that type of thing. I mean, the fact of the matter is our state constitution says 
that students are to receive 180 days of instruction. We, right now, do not have enough time in the school day. We don't have enough days in the school year to be able to teach students in our basic subjects. And, and the proof of that is in the national test results. There's a national test called the NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, nicknamed the Nation's Report Card, that a representative sampling of Arizona students in grades 4, 8, and 12 have to take every two years. And those scores have been flat you know, for many, many years. By the way, we, we just got the latest results the, the, you know, for, for 2017 in the, the NAEP, uh, NAEP test in, in reading and math at the 8th and 4th grade level, and those students have shown no improvement. Again, the test results have been absolutely flat, and those students have been taught under Common Core their entire time in school. So, no, there isn't time. I mean, if, you, if the time, I suppose, if you want to be able to pursue Mexican-American studies or the La Raza curriculum or anything along those lines is later, you know, in, in higher ed, uh, although, again, I think it goes against, you know, the, the, the very concepts, you know, that the rights and freedoms that we all enjoy as Americans and, and that unite us as a people. All right. I, I have a lot. I have a lot to ask you. Can you hang on for me? I want to talk about, yes. again, we got to get the teacher safety in class because this uh-huh. is the only this is the only uh, business that I know where people literally get assaulted and, and nobody stands up for the teachers. It, it wouldn't happen in the real world. Um, I want to talk about that. Uh, jobs. I noticed on your website, you know, there's got to be more than just kids going to college. We need people that work yeah. with their hands. Uh, and, and, and again, just grading teachers. Like, how do we how do we evaluate if they really deserve a raise? Should it be one full swoop? Uh, all, I got a lot to ask for you. Uh, and, okay. and thanks for hanging with me. This is Frank Riggs. He's with me. Riggs for AZ.com running for a state superintendent of schools here in Arizona. We'll continue in five. Here's Fox. Let's continue. Uh, with Frank Riggs running for state superintendent of education here in Arizona. Riggs for AZ.com is his website. Uh, Frank, thanks for sticking around. So teachers want more money. It's very it's very hard. It's probably impossible to actually judge teachers because if parents don't make kids do work, that's not the teacher's fault. So how do you think it should work? Should teachers just get one fell swoop, everybody across the board gets a raise, or is there any way to actually judge them individually to see if they're worthy of a raise? Well, we probably ought to have a career ladder that creates kind of a merit pay system, uh, especially for those uh, you know experienced teachers who uh, who want to mentor younger teachers, you know, teachers entering the profession uh, in in that role of master teacher. Uh, but you know, in terms of of actually monitoring and evaluating teachers, that's that's the role of administrators, Garrett. I mean, that that's a big part of their job. You know, call that peer review, if you will. But administrators are supposed to be doing regular classroom visitation. They're supposed to be in the classrooms. And again, working with teachers and evaluating them and giving them constructive feedback. And I think we forget that. And and again, that kind of goes back to the administrative burden that we've been placing on school districts, with uh, you know basically more and more laws and regulations consuming more and more admin time and you know increasing compliance costs. That uh, again, that diverts attention away from the classroom. We want more dollars into the classroom for teacher compensation, uh, for education support professionals, and enabling administrators to do their job and and provide that kind of review, that supervision, that mentoring that teachers need. Now, um, 
And all, by the way, Frank Riggs, as you're listening to on KNST AM790, riggsforaz.com is his website, running for state superintendent of schools. Uh, so then should it be all up to local stuff if there's a bad teacher? And by bad teacher, I mean an indoctrinating teacher, a teacher that wants to not do his or her job. Like, I'll give you an example here. It was tipped off to me by a listener. His child is in 11th grade, taking 11th grade math at Flowing Wells High School here. And I was sent pictures and video, or an and audio, I should say, the teacher's transgender. It's a dude wearing a skirt. And instead of teaching math on March 31st, he was teaching the kids about transgenderism and why they should That's accept it. Yeah, and I called the school. I called the principal. Nobody ever got back to me. People were outraged. But can anything be done? If you're the state superintendent of schools, could you, can you do anything? Can you pressure people? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we have to stop. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm going to uh, set up a hotline uh, directly in, in my office, the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, so that we can receive complaints and concerns. And people can do that anonymously if, if need be. And then we can follow up with the leadership of the local school district and, and then get back to the individual, the complainant, if you will, who con- contacted the superintendent's uh, office. If it involves any kind of wrongdoing, that's an action that then has to be taken to the State Board of Education because they oversee teacher licensing and certification. If it involves criminal wrongdoing, we would make a referral to the, to the Attorney General's office. But, yeah, that's a critical role for the superintendent of public instruction. Our state constitution says that the superintendent of public instruction shall superintend uh, basically our K-12 education system. And that is the position I'm running for, and that is the solemn responsibility that I'll be assuming. Okay. I mean, would, would you be able to pick up the phone and call the superintendent or the principal and yes. say, what the heck are you oh, doing? A- absolutely. And, and, in fact, it, you know, I, I intend to be a visible, active, proactive, maybe I should say, superintendent. So I'll be out in the field doing school visits, hopefully having an opportunity. Sometimes a certified substitute teacher, and I've taught seventh grade history and advanced placement government to actually even teach an occasional class but yeah ab- absolutely okay uh, w- would would be doing it and let me just add garrett you know mm-hmm. that there's an old adage that teachers can affect eternity because they never know where their influence stops well that that i i believe in that i believe that education especially your classroom teaching is a noble profession i believe that honestly that there's probably no amount of compensation that's enough for that really great teacher but the flip side of that is anything that we pay a bad teacher a teacher that's holding on, uh, even though they're not fulfilling their responsibilities or they're engaged in this indoctrination, as you just described, anything that we pay that teacher is too much. I agree. Um, so let's talk about teachers really fast. Um, teachers, I mean, I get, I, I, some lady called earlier this week. She said, I need more money because I'm, I'm a kindergarten teacher, and just yesterday I was stabbed by a, by a kid with a pencil. I was spit on, I was punched, and I'm like, you know, if that happened in my place of work, people would be fired. There could be lawsuits. But administration never seems to have teachers' backs, and I don't know why teachers don't complain about that. Well, they should have the, t- the teachers' back. I mean, the, the, those acts, if committed at, at an older age, uh, you know, would, would be criminal in nature because yeah. it involves assault, assault and battery. But the fact of the matter is, you know, every good school I've ever been in essentially has a zero-tolerance discipline policy. And they typically have a strict dress code, if not requiring school uniforms, and yes, to, to anticipate the obvious question, uh, those schools help lower-income families in, in getting uniforms if necessary. But you have to have that zero-tolerance policy. Now, that means simply that the disruptive student has to be removed 
from the classroom, uh, continue to receive, uh, you know, education and services, but in an alternative setting. And, and secondly, that you're not absolutely under no circumstances are you going to tolerate uh, actions that are abusive or assaultive in nature. Well, I, I hope so, because right here at TUSD, I mean, they, all they do is talk about their uh, their discipline policy, and it has issues, and teachers complain, and it's more than elementary school, like you're saying, it's older kids, and they the teachers say, we call, it takes 15 minutes for someone from administration to come down, they put the take the kid away for five minutes, then he ends up back in class disruptive again. And it's just <clears> like this vicious cycle that never, ever, ever ends. Well, I really question their discipline policy and this whole notion of restorative justice, and, and I think that's this very, very fallacious argument about, you know, school to prison. I mean, the fact of the matter is, as I said earlier, you've got to have strict policy. I mean, young people, and remember, these are, these are minors under the law. Uh, these are dependent children. They, the fact of the matter is they need to know what the limits and the parameters are. And that, that simply means the adults are in charge, and they have to set down the rules, and then they have to enforce the rules. And, and I guess the big problem is that parents, uh, you know, always nowadays always think the kids are the best or maybe schools are afraid of lawsuits. What could you do as superintendent to try to, you know, curb that kind of thinking and, and put the power back in the teacher's hands? Well, the, 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 uh, the parents may have some legal recourse, um, but, but the fact of the matter is that the, the doctrine that we use in our schools today is called in loco parenthesis, the Latin term simply meaning that when the student is on, uh, on or in the school premises, that the school is acting as the parent in local parenthood. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact of the matter is that the, the family, the parents, are giving those rights to the school. So the school needs to act firmly in the expectation that that is what parents would, would want, that, that that is how they would enforce it, discipline in the home. So, you know, we, we've got a cockeyed notion here that, Somehow the tail's going to wag the dog, uh, but that can't happen because that disruptive, that abusive, that assaulted student uh, is, you know, obviously infringing on the education of all other yes. students. Exactly. Exactly. Tell you what, Frank, I'm sure you have a life, and I don't. Uh, if you can't stay with me to ATIC, I have more that I want to ask you about, uh, you know, basically. Uh, blue-collar education that students can get at schools. I also want to ask you about security. If you can't do it at 810, we can do it again tomorrow. Uh, can you stay with me? I'm putting you on the spot. I'll stay with you, Gary, because those those are two subjects that are near and dear to my heart. Okay, well, <laughs> hang on for me. Hang Ryan will talk okay. to you. We'll continue at 810 with uh, with Frank Riggs. Riggs4AZ.com. Uh, I'm sorry, wait, Riggs for Arizona. Riggs for Arizona. Oh, Riggs for AZ. Same thing. Riggs4AZ.com is the website running for state superintendent. Don't go anywhere. Morning Ritual, Garrett Lewis, KNST, AM792, sounds most stimulating talk. Now we're going to continue with uh, Frank Riggs, who is running for State Superintendent of Education. Uh, Riggs4AZ.com is his website. Guy's a brilliant guy. Uh, and again, I don't say that lightly. You laugh, Frank. I only say great things about me, really. So, I mean, when I listen, my kid's going to be in kindergarten coming up in August, my, uh, my oldest. Ah, so, yes. I mean, you know, it's near and dear to my heart. I want to make sure good things happen. Um, let, me, let me ask you this I'm getting uh, more and more reports, all kinds of things. Uh, I mean, I have a guy that I work with. His wife is a teacher here, and she doesn't know. She wants to work, but she is being shunned because she wants to work. She may go into work, and they said, basically, you know, uh, we'll know who you are. So you have teachers that want to work, and they're being shamed and shunned into uh, not working. I mean, could what can happen? I mean, you, you talked in the last hour about a hotline you'd establish. What can happen to protect teachers 
that go to that. And then, like, I, I have an event every month. Teachers come down from different school districts to my event. It's a happy hour. And they tell us all the time about how there's all kinds of anti-conservative, anti-Trump propaganda. And if they say anything differently in a class, they feel like they're discriminated against and they're targeted in their schools. What- well, I would want to hear from them for sure, Garrett. I mean, the fact of the matter is that we're a right-to-work, non-union state. And I, uh, I'm really dismayed that so many school districts, and for that matter, charter school organizations, have decided to kind of go along with this uh, sheep or herd mentality. I, you know, I hope that, that those teachers who want it to work uh, aren't, aren't docked in any way uh, for their, kind of, their willingness to go against the tide. Uh, and, you know, and I hope that, that uh, everyone understands that we, if it's, hopefully it's no more than two days, but if it is two days, a, a walkout, i.e. a strike for the next two days, that those two days are going to be added on the back end. We're, mm-hmm. you know, we're still going to have a full, full school year for educators and students. Do you think that these teachers um, that walk out should be fired? Uh, Diane Douglas talked about investigating them and possibly decertifying them, and by law they can be fired for breaking their contract and lose their certification. Do you think that that, that should uh, come into play? Well, that could be in consideration, but that, again, is up to the employer, and the employer is the local school district, our charter school organization. But, uh, but again, I empathize with the Red for Ed movement. I, I understand where they're coming from. I just think, again, it is very bad form. It's very you know bad faith for them to take a strike vote before, after the governor's made his proposal, but before the legislature could act. I mean, there, there's the old saying, you know, you know, take the win. And I, I do believe in, in speaking with individual legislators and in, in chatting with the, with the governor and some of his staff over the weekend at an event, I, I do believe they're very sincere in striving for this, this pay increase. Now, I would probably go about it a different way. As I said earlier in our conversation, I would do it through uh, an increase in per-pupil funding uh, tied or indexed to student enrollment growth and inflation, and then let, again, the local governing board of the school district charter school make those decisions. Uh, But I, you know, this this really, um, you know, strikes me, again, as as very bad faith and, and, again, highly politically motivated, by, by individuals that I think, as you've pointed out, are, are clearly partisan activists. Yep. So, again, you think that the president and the governor, the governor has said 20 percent increase, and he never really gave details. He just said, well, the economy is getting better. We're going to be able to get so much more in tax revenue because the economy is good. We'll take that money and, and pay the teachers and, and get funding back. But Republicans and Democrats have said that's a bit pie in the sky thinking. You can't really base it on that. Um, but you think that his faith is good and then you should take you know another two months till the budget is due. Uh, for lawmakers to figure out a way to, to, to make all these payments. Absolutely. Again, as I said, they're the duly elected representatives of the people. As the old saying goes, the governor can propose, but only the legislature can dispose. Mm-hmm. And, and they haven't had a chance to, to kind of work their will. We, have, we haven't seen any legislative or, or budgetary language yet. Uh, and, 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 and though, you know, the, the, you know so we're going to have this mass walkout, i.e. strike over the next two days. It just... You know, people just don't seem to understand. <laughs> this, this really gripes me a lot. But people don't seem to understand. This is the way our representative democracy under a constitutional republic is supposed to work. 
No, I, I've, yeah, and I have so many in yeah. political process. And, and one of my big com- yeah. concerns, one of my big reasons, motivations for running for superintendent of public instruction is I want to restore a focus, a primary focus on civics. In exactly. And I, I want to hit that up. I, I, and I got to okay. keep even for longer. But I just got there and I got to talk about security. I, and I noticed the whole thing about civics because it's really sad that kids now think socialism is a viable way to live in the United States of America, and that comes yeah. directly from teaching. Um, mm-hmm. But before I, before I even tell you, ask you about security and, and kids, you know, not every kid needs to go to college. They need to be able to work with their hands, and, and can we get vocational uh, studies back into school? But first, I got an email from a listener. Uh, this child, their, their child goes to a charter school here, Presidio. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. No. Um, it's a charter school here in southern Arizona, mm-hmm. a Presidio school. And an okay. email went out to the families, and he forwarded it to me. Uh, the school will be in session tomorrow. Uh, the call by the Arizona Educators United for a strike may result in the absence of teachers, but they're going to have teachers that will be present, administrators, to make sure that safety and educational needs are met, right? But then the, the, the person that runs the school, Dr. Mark Saliba, wrote, students and staff are encouraged to wear red to school Thursday, and okay. students who do so are excused from wearing their Presidio uniform that day. That's one thing. Then it says, Presidio staff members and administrators have designated the hours of 9 a.m. to noon on Thursday as hours for education and civil expression on the importance of supporting education funding and educators. During those hours, there will be a demonstration of support for educators in the front parking lot, and each class will have the opportunity to visit the demonstration for a 15-minute rotation, write a professional letter to the governor, and participate in an age-appropriate lesson about civil expression. Is that legal? I mean, I'm sure it's bad form, but, I mean, they're basically using the kids to be political props here, no? Yeah, they are, and and they're, they're encouraging a misguided sense of political activism. And it goes back to what we said, you know, the, you know I talked earlier about our test results, but our test results in civics are very, very dismal. Young people aren't learning who we are and what we stand for as a country. And my, my reaction to that, Garrett, honestly, is if people want to engage in political action, they first should learn about the very rights and freedoms that make it possible for them to engage in political mm-hmm. action. Is that, it, but is that, is that legal for them to do in this school? Do you know or not sure? Well, I'm, I suspect it is legal only because, you know, charter schools uh, enjoy a, an extraordinary degree of of flexibility with their educational curriculum and programming hmm. but i don't like it i don't like it one bit i think it sends the you know the wrong message uh you know i just i don't you know i've seen a couple other bulletins that other school districts and charter schools have sent out and they're trying to do the same thing honestly they're straddling the issue and they're basically saying we're going to stay open and we're somehow going to you know cover our classrooms with certified substitutes or administrative staff or even parent volunteers but, oh, by the way, you know, we're not going to conduct school as usual. We're going to have, you know, this, this ongoing political activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I, would, I would much prefer a teach-in that focuses on perhaps the First Amendment um, you know, or, you know, the Bill of Rights and fundamental civics so at least we understand, you know, where the, the right of free speech and the right to po- protest and the right to petition your government for grievances – where those rights originate. Interesting. Well, tell you, you know what? Real-world stuff. I mean, it's like teaching what's going on right now, which makes sense. Uh, hang with me, if you don't mind. I want to get okay. to, again, school security. I want to get to uh, uh, school security and the civics aspect. And, of course, again, vocation. 
vocational yeah. uh, uh, studies in schools as well. Frank Riggs is who you're listening to. He is running for superintendent of public instruction here in Arizona, state superintendent. And his website is riggs4az.com. We'll continue in five right here on KNST AM 792. Sounds most stimulating talk. Garrett Lewis with you. I know you're enjoying it this morning. The stimulation. It's true. Uh, it's going to be hot, sunny, high of about 94 degrees today. You shouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, we're at 72 right now. We're going to continue with Frank Riggs, who is running for state superintendent of schools right here on KNST AM 790. Frank, thanks for uh, sticking with me. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Um, so, uh, when it comes to uh, security at schools, I mean, after that shooting, it, it's very rare there's a shooting. Very rare. We know that. The media builds it up and everything. Uh, but, you know, it's really frustrating that if there's something that happens at an airport, you know, security's beefed up. A sporting event, security's beefed up. At a school, people argue about it, and nothing's ever done. Um, I personally think that anybody that wants to go through training, that can, uh, that's any staff, it can be a teacher, a janitor, or whatever, if they can be there, in my estimation, and be and be trained and have a firearm concealed on them, I think that that should happen. Uh, what's your take on securing schools? Well, there's no question that our schools are soft targets, especially when students are congregating, you know, before and, and after school, you know, like in Parkland, where it was dismissal time and, and mm-hmm. as students were leaving and well, he pulled the fire alarm was pulled, occurring. Yeah, he pulled the fire yeah. alarm. And and there's a lot we can do to harden that target. Uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, as I think about it, Garrett, I, you know, I was a school resource officer way back when. I, you know, I went into law enforcement right out of the Army with the intent of pursuing it as a career, got promoted, put in charge of all crime prevention and community relations programs, started working with young offenders, quickly discovered, as, as probably you and, and most of your listeners know, that almost all of them came from broken homes, dysfunctional families, mm-hmm. many times fatherless families were you know, entering the school system as at-risk students. Uh, and that led me to the realization, as Frederick Douglass said centuries ago, it's much easier to build strong children than to repair broken men and motivated me to run for the school board. And as I guess they say, that you know, the rest is history. But to answer your question directly, yes, I, you know, it, I, we are a big state and we have a lot of rural communities where law enforcement is spread thin and response times are very, very slow. Uh, something I can relate to. I, as a police officer, had to confront, I had to disarm, I had to arrest dangerous felons and active shooters. I, I know what's involved in that. But to your point, if someone wants to go through, uh, voluntarily go through the same sort of tactical training and annual qualification that I did as a police officer, I have no problem with the concept of a voluntary concealed carry or, at a minimum, having you know access to a firearm in a in a gun locker, that you know, where the access is through fingerprint identification, there are lots of things that we can and and should do do because, uh, you know, school security and student safety is the first priority. Very interesting. The first one that uh, has, uh, that I know of that that has been willing to to say that. Uh, and again, just as I look at it, my kid is is going to be in kindergarten, and God forbid something happens in his school. Uh, I'd rather have his teacher be able to tell all the kids, go in a closet, go in the corner, turn over a desk, whatever it is, and he or she has the firearm trained at the door, so if the person comes walking in, uh, be able to unload versus sitting there and trying to disarm the guy with a ruler or a book. I mean, it's... Well, yeah, well, well, like I said, you know, I I had to, you know, extensive training, obviously, in, in doing it, 
uh, you know, in tactical training and what's called close contact situations. Mm -hmm. So I know what's involved in that. But I also know that there are lots of organizations that provide that kind of training for people that want to voluntarily go through that training. And I'm not talking about, again, basic firearm safety course, you know, which you, which you need to, to do to complete to have a concealed carry permit. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the type of training that law enforcement uh, receives. And the other thing we could do is I, I think there's a whole cadre of, of people out there, you know, former military, retired law enforcement, who would be willing to act in a reserve capacity, kind of almost a volunteer capacity or nominal compensation to, you know, a, a, in a uniform capacity to better secure our schools because it's, you know, it's well proven that a uniform presence is a, is a deterrent. It really is. Uh, also, uh, and I, I'm going to have to keep you over again, but let's talk about vocational schools uh, because I have, I have listeners that are business owners, that are contractors. Uh, they can't find people to do stucco work. They can't find people to frame windows. Uh, they, you know, plum, there, there's companies down here that are plumbing companies that are willing to pay people so they can train them to be plumbers and then, and then employ them to be plumbers. Um, mm -hmm. we, we don't have, it's like there's this big marketing scam by colleges that you're just a degenerate if you don't go to college. And if you don't go to college, you're, you're just a miscreant. You're going to have no future. Yet there are great paying jobs and careers that don't require college. Uh, what would you like to see done? What would you recommend? What can you do as state superintendent of schools to change that? Oh, wow. Well, we, we need to restore a, a focus and an emphasis on career technical education. You know, I, I'm the candidate that wants to get Common Core out of our schools and, and restore the focus uh, the primary focus in, uh, of our of our schools on civics, but also want to put a much greater emphasis on career technical education. As you said, there are 10,000 unfilled jobs in the construction trades in our state today. Uh, and we, we have done it, and you made a great point, Garrett, we've done a huge disservice to a large number of students by promoting this concept that, you know, that, that, that you know, a successful high school grad uh, education uh, or academic success means going from high school to Harvard. Mm -hmm. That leaves a lot of students behind, uh, and that is a complete fallacy. We, you know, you know Mike Rowe from the Dirty Jobs yes. TV show. Well, mm -hmm. he points out what he calls the dissonance between the fact that, according to the Department of Labor, we have somewhere between five and a half and six million unfilled skilled jobs in our economy in our in our workforce today. That's the skills gap. On the one hand, and on the other hand. $1.3 trillion in outstanding college student loan debt. And closer to home, in Pima County, Raytheon, right, the number one private employer mm -hmm. in Pima County, has something like 1,500 unfilled jobs. They critically need engineers and scientists or you know, students getting a STEM education in high school and college to fill those jobs in order to enable Raytheon in turn to fulfill, to perform its obligations under its you know, contracts with the Pentagon for mission-critical work in missile defense and cybersecurity. So we have this yawning skills gap in our economy, and we have to do a much better job of aligning our high schools and our post-secondary schools, community colleges and four-year colleges and universities, with the real needs and opportunities of the workforce. And could you, and so basically, a superintendent of schools for the state of Arizona, you can't mandate, but you can recommend. I mean, what would you do to try to make that happen here? Right. Well, the, I can certainly try to influence my colleagues on the State Board of Education to put a much greater emphasis. And by that, I mean basically devoting more time to career technical education programs. Uh, and I always believe in the, in the K 
carrot approach over, over the stick approach, but what can we do? Well, we can, we can um, create um, more courses that uh, enable students to take advantage of career technical education opportunities. We can do more what is called dual enrollment or early college, where a student in high school can dual enroll at a community college and, all, and begin while still in high school to get college credit uh, at, towards a career or technical education, a vocational technical education certificate. We can do more to incentivize the private sector to provide apprenticeships and work-study opportunities and mentorships and internships. That all goes back to what I said. We can do a much better job of aligning our, our education system with these, you know, these opportunities and these critical needs in the workforce. Okay, uh, give you, I, I, you know, I never anticipated a two-hour thing. I know you were good. Uh, can you stick with me? I want to do just, you know, talk about civics and how you want to bring, you know, obviously teach about the country, which never really happens anymore. It yeah. happens very little. I want to get your thoughts on that, uh, as well as, you know, people want to know. This is interesting. We have people that are not certified teachers teaching classes. I want to get your take on that as well. Uh, sure. Frank Riggs, thank you. Hang on with me. We'll continue in about six. He is running for. Uh, State Superintendent of Education right here in Arizona. Riggs for AZ.com is his website. We'll continue on KNST and Fibers Fox. Now we'll continue uh, with uh, Frank Riggs for one last segment. Frank, I really appreciate the time today. Frank is running for State Superintendent of Schools here in Arizona. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about civics because there are so many ridiculous classes today. I mean, I have friends; uh, their kid goes to uh, to a high school, and apparently. I think when he's, before he got there, eighth grade did not have to take social studies, or ninth grade did not have to take social studies or any any history class. And I'm like, mm. what is the deal with that? Yep. I mean, the kids don't understand. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a big push for young people for socialism because they're kind of indoctrinated by bad teachers and they don't learn about what capitalism does and about this country anymore. Oh, that's so true, Garrett. You know, it, unfortunately, and I think I think you know, ominously for the future of our republic, so many young people are, are graduating not just high school but many times two- and four-year colleges with, with little knowledge, with, you know, with really no basic understanding of American civics. And, by the way, you know who we might put in that category is young Mr. Corvallis. Yep. He, uh, he holds a provisional teaching license because he's not yet completed the required courses on the Arizona Constitution and the U.S. Constitution. Uh, and I, I think that that says an awful lot. But the, you know, the founding purpose wow. of our common schools, uh, you know, the forerunner to today's public schools was to prepare young people for responsible adult citizenship. And our system of self-government, of by and for the people, as Lincoln said at Gettysburg, through a representative democracy under a constitutional republic. And I tend to agree with the noted uh, prolific uh, author and noted historian David McCullough, who says, you know, look, we're at risk of raising an entire generation of young people who are historically and civically illiterate. And as Ronald Reagan said, you know, we're never more than one generation away from losing our freedom. And, and that's because, you know, it's essential that young people understand who we are, what we stand for as a country, and are prepared to take up the mantle of leadership to preserve the greatness of America. So what would you do? What would, you, would you require or would you push to get a requirement? Yes. At least a semester of civics in middle school or junior high school and at least a, a semester in high school. Uh, if I had my way, probably do even more, but I think we have to have a minimum requirement that you know that we teach this most fundamental and important of subjects. What about if um, I mean, 
you don't want to censor people, but at the same time, if teachers start in American public schools start ragging on capitalism yep. and promoting socialism, can something be done about that? Absolutely. That that falls directly in the lap of the administrator. If that is happening, then the administrator is not spending adequate time in the classroom or administrators, you know, because it could be the school leader, a principal, or a headmaster, but it could, could be an assistant or vice principal as well. And again, their primary responsibility is to supervise classroom teaching and learning. That's the primary job of, a, of an administrator, not filling out paperwork. So, yeah, it, it, it should absolutely bring consequences. There's, there's no question about it. And it goes, it ties back to a subject that you brought, brought up just before the last commercial break, which is. This, I, I think you were alluding to alternative credentialing, mm-hmm. allowing mid-career professionals who want to pursue teaching uh, and who have demonstrated subject matter expertise, giving them an expedited way to get into the classroom. And that goes back to the whole question of what's really important in preparing for teaching. And I submit it's subject matter expertise. It's not essentially a education courses on pedagogy or how to teach, that's important. You have to know. I know this from my firsthand experience in teaching. You have to be able to, you know, to manage a classroom. But what really counts is that subject matter expertise. You know, there's there's an organization, uh, Junior Achievements. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great organization. Yeah, they they really are. And I've interviewed them uh, several times. And and they go around and teach life lessons. Um, you know, things that are useful. How to manage a budget. How to do right things. How to start a business. That kind of stuff. Shouldn't those kinds of things, like an entrepreneurial class, wouldn't that be very productive to have uh, Absolutely. in a, in a it, high school it, or middle school? It would be. In fact, I think it's critical that students learn life skills while in high school because theoretically, right, when they graduate high school, they're going to become emancipated adults, and they're going to enter the real world of work or higher education or some combination thereof. So they've got to have that preparation too. And by the way, Garrett, you know, the, the Gallup poll, the Phi, Phi Delta Kappa and the Gallup poll do an annual what they call back-to-school survey of parents, a national survey, representative sampling of parents who participate. And consistently, parents say the most important uh, aspect of a high school education, secondary education, is to prepare young people for the, the, the real world. It's, it's to give them those life skills, to help them develop their interpersonal relationship skills. And, uh, and they actually, you know, they rank that as one of the highest, most important missions of our secondary schools, and they rank dead last as the standardized testing. So that tells you, again, mm-hmm. something about how our school really, the school system really isn't uh, listening to what parents, who are the ultimate consumers of education, what, what parents want. And what can parents do? I mean, because you show up to the school board. I mean, here in Tucson, you have some crazies. Uh, Raul Grijalva's daughter, for God's sakes, is on the school board, and she's a complete nut. Um, I mean, what, what can parents do to try to influence or change curriculum? I mean, because it seems like the parents that want to change it to what I believe and what you believe are ignored, and teachers that believe what I believe and you believe get shunned if they speak out, so they're forced to be quiet. Um, so let's start with the, you know, what can parents do? And then again, I just want to go back to what we covered in the last hour a little bit. What can teachers do if they feel like they're being targeted or chilled, uh, if they speak up or if they see any kind of anti-conservative stuff? And if they say any pro-conservative stuff or anything like that, if they're targeted, what can they do? I know I asked you a lot. Sorry. Yeah. Well, if teachers uh, are rebuffed 
by the school board, excuse me, if parents are rebuffed by the, by the school board, then they, they can take advantage of school choice. That's, that's the one great thing that we, well, we, there are many things, but that's, that is the, the principal attribute of K-12 education in our state today. We have robust school choice. We have lots of diverse educational models. We even have, you know, open enrollment, which allows a parent yep. to transfer their child to a school within the same district or to another school district. Here in Maricopa County, because I live in Scottsdale, but here in Maricopa County, four out of ten, almost half, of K-8 students are attending a choice school. That is to say they're attending a school other than the one they would be assigned to based on their home address. So fortunately, there is an outlet. Uh, If, in fact, the school district is doctrinaire, uh, is dominated by a basically a left-of-center political Mm -hmm. machine, and and parents can go go that route. but for a teacher that is promoting, I mean, teachers are supposed to be agnostic in their political views. Uh, so teachers that are in the classroom and are promoting uh, a form of, of political activism or something like, you know, socialistic thinking, uh, that teacher should be reprimanded. That teacher should be uh, put on probation. That teacher should be closely supervised. In other words, they should be put on a short leash. You know what? Like, they have like, no business teaching young people. Well, and, and you know, just really quick, an example of this, and nothing ever happens. We had a, a parent come forward last year. I can't remember, Ryan, do you remember, was it Tucson High or Tucson Magnet High? It might have been Tucson Mag... When, when um, there was a... There was supposed to be a mariachi assembly. And it turns out, and this was uh, right when uh, Trump was, you know, ending DACA and stuff like that, Turns out it went from a mariachi assembly to a pro-DACA assembly where teachers were telling the kids why they should support DACA and why Trump is bad, and they had illegal alien students go up there and also tell the other students why they should support DACA and why Trump is bad. And that happened at an assembly during school hours at a Tucson high school. I think it was Tucson High. Well, to, to, to me, that that's the, you know, that's the, the, the stuff that recall movements are made of. But, but if I become superintendent of public instruction, I will want to know that so that I can follow up on that. I can bring it. I can take it to the next level, okay. which is the State Board of Education, or even to the legislature. Don't forget, we have standing education committees in the House and Senate, and part of their legislative responsibilities is oversight. And to go back to the, you know, the teacher that, you know, that won't be a sheeple, that will buck the tide, I want that teacher to know that I will have their back. You know, they, we are a right-to-work non-union state. That is one of the things that makes Arizona an attractive place to live, start and expand a business. So I do not want that teacher subject to this extreme peer pressure and ostracized or made to believe by their peers, their colleagues, that somehow they have to go along when they believe that walking out or striking is against their principles. Well... Listen, man, this has been fascinating. Two hours. I love it. When you come down to Tucson, i got to get you in studio. I know uh, I you've been trying. Um, I, yeah. I know there have been people calling up with a million questions, and I'm a selfish talk show host of this aspect, and I'm always scared of <laughs> taking questions, too. Uh, but it's because I don't go to a dentist's office and say, uh, let me work on your teeth. You know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> trained in that, so we have that. But listen, Frank Riggs, uh, I, I think this has been fascinating, and uh, as this goes on, too, I might, as this strike continues... Might get you on even sooner than that, but when you come down to Tucson, please let me know. You have my number, okay? 
Will do, Gary. Thank you for all the time today. I've enjoyed it. You got it. Uh, take care. That's Frank Riggs. Riggs4AZ.com is his website running for state superintendent of schools right here in Arizona. Your reaction coming up.